Sorry for the delay. There's a computer problem for a change, which therefore had to uh, get the Skype rolling. Welcome. Um, all listeners, weekly listeners, all weekly attenders, and all cats. There we go. We have to give tribute, we have to pay, pay tribute to whoever sits through this year. Pashas Nosoi, first Shabbos after Shavuos. Pashas Nosoi, Yud Beis, the twelfth day of the month of Sivan, which is a great, of great significance. The twelfth day of the month of Sivan, as you might know, is the twelfth, the last day of the Tashlumim, the days of which they completed to make up all the sacrifices that had to be brought on Shavuos, that was not ample time in two days, they had until the twelfth of the month. And it is therefore that until the twelfth day of the month, the Tachanun is not recited. The penitent, the penitent prayer that we say daily, Shachris and Mincha, is not recited, and of course not by Krishna Shalomita either. Until the twelfth day of the month, this Shabbos will be the twelfth day of the month, which marks a few milestones. One which we are dedicating part of this year to a wonderful fellow. Blessed memory of Shmuel Leib, Hirsch, a blessed memory, whose yard site is this Shabbos, Yud Beis Sivan. And of course, in order to keep my Shalom bias going and to keep myself afloat, so I don't end up in too much trouble, I have to also mention, of course, Yud Beis Sivan is the anniversary of my daughter, my eldest daughter, Zayn Zinstak, Ibadlu, Lachayib Devim. To her husband, and they are in Shlichus doing the Rebbe's work in Geneva, Switzerland, with their five beautiful Kindlech. And tonight, Yud Sivan is one of those beautiful Kindlech, Rivka Brachal's birthday. So, happy birthday to Rivka Bracha, happy anniversary to Rachel Chana from Pesach, and of course, May the Neshama have an Aliyah, the Shmuley ben be a good Tibetan for the Mishpacha, for his wife, for his children, as his sons definitely needed, Beruchnius, Begashmius, Bebanachayim, Zain Revicha. Somebody just jumped on and jumped off here. What's going on in this thing tonight? I can't keep track of who's on and who's off on the Skype anymore. It's showing me that I have no control. That is the name of the game. Oh, Gershon. I don't know who it is. Okay, irrelevant. Whoops. Get back here. No, that didn't work. I messed up very bad. Oh, I unmessed it, I think. Did I? No, I didn't. Okay, hold on. 
Now I did. We're back. Okay. I have we definitely have to hire a technician for this. Pasha's Nasi is the longest Pasha of the year. The longest Pasha being in Psukim wise from the beginning until the end is the longest Pasha. Has the most Psukim. Most commonly known that is the reading is done on Hanukkah. We read each day the Nasi that brought the carbon. And on the eighth day of Hanukkah we read until the end, including Bahalais Ghazanades, which we will discuss. Also, from the first day of Rishkhadish Nisan, from the Aleph Nisan until Yudbez, every day we say one day the Nasi, which we'll also Bilineda discuss. The most important don't know if we can use the most important when it comes to Taylor, everything is important but the most popular probably be a better word is the blessings of the Kohanim the Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha Yair Hashem panavelecha v'chonecha Yisa Hashem panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom v'somwa shmiya b'nei Yisrael v'nei avarachim which is how today's Chumash and Chitas comes to a conclusion. If I tell you, God should bless you. We know God should bless you. He blesses you with all the facets and all the ways and blessings you could possibly bless a person. Does it actually lack to me to tell you? Or what do I actually add by telling you? V'yishmerecho and he should watch over you as well. A fellow told a story recently, a personal miracle that he wanted to share, which I found very intriguing. I thought maybe it would be interesting to repeat tonight. He was Zeche, and I would like to find myself in those shoes as well. I merited a few years ago to marry off three children in one year. I'd like to marry off four in this year. Hashem. By the way, I, I hope uh, your ticket is made for August 23rd, yes? August 23rd is the wedding, Thursday night. You're, invi- you're going to have to sh- come up here for the wedding, and you're going to have to stay for Shabbos. You'll be our Shabbos guest. He's trying to figure out. No, you can't bring the cat. The cat stays in, in Georgia. But you and your wife, and if you want to bring the kids, we'll talk, we'll negotiate. He had to make three weddings in one shot. And his financial situation was not cutting it. Not only his financial situation was not cutting it, he was in debt over his years to the gazoo. He had no one to borrow from anymore. He was in pretty, pretty desperate situation. I believe I've told the story many times. The little quick liner of Moshe Nebuch that couldn't sleep one night. He's walking back and forth. He's pacing his bedroom. He's making a racket, knocking over furniture. His wife finally, at 3 o'clock in the morning, says, Moshe, what's with you? Why are you not sleeping? And Moshe, in a 
biting his nails, says to his wife, you know my neighbor, our neighbor Chaim, across the alley? She says, yes. I owe Chaim $5,000. And I promise to pay him back tomorrow. And I don't have a penny. She says to him, that's why you're not sleeping? He says, yeah. She opens the window and starts to scream. Three o'clock in the morning. Chaim, Chaim. Chaim thought the house is on fire. Chaim opens his window in his pajamas and his eyes are barely open. And he says, what's the matter? What happened? She says, my son, my husband, Moshe. What happened to him? He has to pay you tomorrow $5,000. So he says, yeah. He doesn't have it. And she closes the window. And she turns to her husband and says, now go to sleep. Because he's not sleeping. You can't both stay up. So since she, she gave, she dumped the trouble on him, she dumped the tzadis on him, so now she figures that her husband can't sleep. In our case here, our hero was not sleeping nights. He was not functioning by day, he was not sleeping nights, he was going off his mind. Because the two of the weddings he had to travel to, and he just did not have a penny to his name. The thought of not being by his children's weddings. And even worse, the humiliation of not participating financially to marry off his children was just a burden that he could not bear. He could not handle. His wife says, you're sitting around, biting your nails. Do something. He says, I have nothing to do. I can't go borrow money. I have no one to borrow from. I have no one to go... She says, do something spiritual, my friend. So he sat and said to Hillam, and he sat and he prayed, and he sat and tried this and tried that. Finally she says to him, you know what, she says, Shalom bias, domestic peace, is very integral for Panasa, for sustenance. If we have 100% peace and harmony between us, God will send you money. He's shocked. He says, were we fighting? She says, no, but I'll tell you there's something that bothers me very much. He says, what is it? Your office. The office that you have here in the house is a pigsty. It's a despicable mess and I can't go in that room. And it's in my house, and it bothers me to no end. You have nothing else to do. You're not making any money. Instead of going crazy, go take your mind off of this, and go do your office. (laughs) Um, I don't know how many of you have ever asked a man to clean up a room. But... That is not their M.O. Um, Men generally do not like to clean. Men do not like to pick up from the table. Men do not like to wash dishes. They do it, forcefully so. To give a man a task to clean up a room, even if it's his own tool shed, eh, it's not simple batter. But, his wife said, you know what, maybe it'll help, maybe it'll do... The Shalom bias will be better. Maybe. Sat himself down in the office. Couldn't find a chair. 
It was piled high in garbage and junk and dust and cobwebs, what not. He starts filing papers that belonged in the garbage years ago, and he starts throwing them out now. And as he's throwing out his papers, and he's putting together the few important papers that might be important to him, he sees a little nice portfolio. He says, what's in here? He opens it up, and he finds that he bought a guzma. I don't remember how many. Like 600 stocks. And it was a natural oil company. He bought it for like $7 a piece. I wonder if this is worth anything so the next day he takes it with him and after whatever work he was doing whatever he was doing in the place he went down the block he had a restaurant actually he went down the block to a stockbroker and he showed him the file and the guy starts looking it up he says this stock doesn't exist my friend he says you know what leave it here I'll see I'll do some investigation the next day he gets a phone call from the broker, hysterical. He says, what happened? Your company was swallowed. The stock that you owned, the company was swallowed by another company. And they became a conglomerate, and they split, and then they got sold. And he gave a whole shellus of where these stocks ended up. <laughs> They ended up in this little shabby company called Enron. Enron. The stock was worth $80 a share. 600 stocks is like $48,000. He told the broker, he says, listen, (laughs) sell it. I need the money. I got to make my weddings. God sent me a miracle. And he sold it, and he had pretty much majority of the money for tickets and for the weddings. And that sounds like it would be happily ever after, but it wasn't happily ever after. A few days later, the phone rings. I don't know what bureau investigates these things, but the bureau that investigates these things... called him up and said, uh, Mr. There's a little problem over here. There's an illegal issue called inside trading. If you have an inside tip, and for some reason you go and do some trades based on this inside tip, it's illegal. So obviously the stock market is a very, very big lesson to us in how to serve God. You have to do it with blind faith. Well, we know, he said, the investigator said, the inspector said, that, oh, excuse me, I didn't finish the story. The next day after he sold the stock at $80 a share, the next day or two he picked up a newspaper and he saw Enron was worth $0.03 cents a share. 
the whole company collapsed. So that's why they're calling now to investigate how did he know to pull out so last minute. So they suspected that he did it from inside inside trading. <laughs> he started to explain to the guy, Mister, you're not going to believe this story. And he starts telling him how he had no money for the weddings and how he was looking through his office. He was cleaning up the office. He found the portfolio. He had no idea what it was. He took it to a stockbroker. The stockbroker looked up and investigated and inspe- After two days, found out it was Enron. I needed to tell me how much it was worth. I said, I need that money quick. Give me the money. And immediately he says, you put together, please, sir, as much evidence as you have, because we're going to drag you into court. He put together the three invitations, and he showed the documentation from the broker, how he went and he bought. And that was it. Shalom. He sent this into the inspector, and the inspector calls him up and says, Mister, I got to tell you, You couldn't make up this story if you wanted. Your story has no holes to it, and it's so real. We're believing you, we're not even asking to investigate you. We see the invitations, we see everything, and it's all legit. Congratulations, mister. Enjoy your money. So we see the concept of the Yishmerecha, that we have to be watched over. Even though Yivarechecha, God blesses us, sometimes we have to be careful. We have to be... We have to understand where and how that blessing has to affect us. Another such story happened a few hundred years ago. There was a chassid of the Al-Tarebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, he was the Rav in a city called Slavita. Now in those times, amongst the things that you couldn't get religious-wise, you could not get Svarim, any Jewish books you couldn't get. They were just not to be found. They, they printed a few, how many were printed? And it was a tremendous need for a printing house. He had the funds, he had the know-how. But he needed the permits. And the permits take a lot of bribing and knowing the right people to get through. Try as he may, he could not get where he needed to. Finally, he traveled to the Altarebbe. The Altarebbe told him, waste no time. There's a city called Moliev. Go to Moliev, pick up over there the Malamid the teacher there for the children. His name is Rabbi Yisrael. Take Rabbi Yisrael with you to Vilna. And Rabbi Yisrael will take care of the business. Now the Rebbe says such a direct instruction. The Chassid picks himself up and travels immediately to Vilna. To uh, Moilov. In Moilov he picks up, he looks around, he says, where is the Malamid? And this guy's teaching the children, that guy's teaching the children, this guy, nobody the name of Yisrael. Suddenly he finds the Malamed Rabbi Yisrael, an old, old man, over 70 years old. And not enough that he was over 70 years old, he didn't speak a word of Russian. 
He spoke only Yiddish. So he approaches the Chassid and he says to him, Rabbi Yisrael, you have to come with me to Vilna because we're having a problem getting permits. Rabbi Yisrael looked at him like he's nuts. What do I have with permits, with ministers? I don't know anything of these things. And besides, I don't speak any language except for Yiddish. Rabbi Yisrael, the Rebbe told me to take you. And Rabbi Yisrael fought valiantly that he does not, he's not the right guy you're looking for. But he lost. He lost because this chassid was determined <clears throat> the Chassid himself was scared and weary of doing what he was doing, because after all, this guy did look like a major loser, as you call it in America. But there was no other Rebisal, there was a Balamit. They pick up and they go to Vilna and they stay in the house of the, the Mayor of Falls. In the house of the Mayor of Falls, they would go to Davin, they would go to learn, they would go to here, to there. But can minister and they're not meeting? And Rabbi Yisrael, for sure, is not meeting anybody. Finally came Shabbos. Came Shabbos, Rabbi Yisrael was very frustrated. He was very frustrated because he says, this is not going anywhere. I don't know why I'm here, I don't know what I'm doing here, I don't know how I let you talk me into this. The mayor of Falls saw Rabbi Yisrael's depression, and he said, Kum, Kum Gash Patir. Shabbos, Shingesen, Shingedavant, let's go for a walk. We ate already, we davened. I'll take you to the gardens, to the nice part, to the center of the town. No, they're walking there, and the mayor falls, decides to take advantage. He knew Rebisol was a learned Jew, and he starts to discuss the Torah portion with him. Ah! This excited Rabbi Yisrael to discuss words of Torah. It excited him so much that he was so entrenched in what he was learning, talking. He totally forgot about the issue that he was not home and that he didn't know what he was doing and how where he was. Agav, I omitted to mention. I was neglected to mention that when the Malamid was told to come, he said, I can't leave my wife and children without a panasa. I get paid every, for every lesson. I'm not going to give lessons. How are they going to live? So this chassid, the rab from Slavita, gave him the money for the month's, a month's wages. Anyway, they're walking, and the talk of the parsha between Reb Meir and Yisrael got very animated. Suddenly, a well-dressed, executive-type fellow walked by. Obviously, not Jewish. And started to stare at Yisrael. And he had this look on his face, and he kept walking. Yisrael was oblivious. But the mayor of Falls, who was a well-connected fellow, caught this right away. And he said, this guy is not a regular Shmobagel. He looks like even a minister of a type person. But, we'll see. A short while later, this minister fellow shows up again. 
and again starts to stare at Rabbi Yisrael. Finally, the mayor of Falls walks over to him and says, Excuse me, Shtotachotzis, what do you want? So he answers him in Russian, Ask the old man if he recognizes me. So he tells the old man, Do you recognize him? Tells him in Yiddish, I have no idea, where would I know such a person? The mayor of Falls was translated back and forth, and finally the minister told the translator, Please tell him I would like him to come to my home tomorrow. Here's my address. Ask him to please come visit me. Ten o'clock in the morning, designated time, the mayor of Falls, the Rav of Slavita, and Rabbi Yisrael the Malamid show up at the door of the house of the minister. A formidable house, and they're ushered in, and the servant tells them, you two please have a seat, and you, Rabbi Yisrael, come with me. He says, what am I going to do without a translator? Don't match it. He says, it doesn't matter. He brings him into the study, and he sits him down across from this wealthy man, this minister, and the minister says to him in Yiddish, Rabbi Yisrael, do you recognize me? Yisrael says, No. Are you sure? He says, I'm sure. Rabbi Yisrael, I want to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a little boy. Oh, I'm sorry, I left out something. He asked, when they were standing in the square, he asked the um, translator to ask him if he was ever in Shklov. And immediately Rabbi Yisrael said, Shklov, I have nothing to do with Shklov, I'm from Aliyev. So the man asked again, are you sure? And he says, wait, 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 I do remember. Twenty plus years ago I was in Shklov. Okay. And that's when he invited him to his house. He said, Rabbi Yisrael, I want to tell you a story of an orphan. That being an orphan was not well trained, was not well behaved. I used to cause havoc in school, in the Cheda. Didn't let anybody teach and didn't let anyone else learn. Used to get the other children to get mischievous and to act mischievous and to do. Eventually, mischief wasn't enough. And he started doing illegal things, stealing and taking and... One day, they got caught. he got caught stealing at 14 years old. He got caught stealing, and they took him, and they put him in a little cage in the middle of the town. And everybody stood there mocking him. A whole day long, and the children were throwing things at him, and the children, the people were mocking him. The humiliation was horrific. Night finally settled. Everybody went home. 
And the little boy, the 14-year-old boy, was stuck in that cage. And then the man continues. Then you, Rabbi Yisrael, came along. You unlocked the cage. You took out the 14-year-old boy. You brought him to your home. You fed him. You gave him a change of clothing. You gave him whatever money you had and sent him packing. You said, go, leave town and find a new identity, a new life. Says the fellow, Rabbi Yisrael, I was the little boy. I was that 14 year old. I am forever indebted to you. First things first, he opens, takes out a bag of gold coins. He says, this is a gift to you. Now, if you tell me, please, why are you here in this town? And he explained to him how he needed to open a printing press. And the minister said, that's not a problem. Immediately, with no money down, procured all the visas and all the paperwork. Everything was put together. And the printing press was up and running in no time because the Yisrael, the Malamid, had done a deed decades before. As we said, in the Parsha, there are many things that are mentioned besides the blessing, the priestly blessing. There is the mention of the of the Nesim, the heads of the tribes bringing sacrifices. Each tribe, on the first day this tribe, on the second one this tribe, the third this tribe. We had mentioned that in the days of Nisan, we say the Nasi every day, and after saying the Nasi, we say Yehiratzin. Yehiratzin is, may it be the will, may it be the will of the Almighty, and etc., etc. I, your servant, am from the tribe of, and whoever tribe that day, then you want that all the holy sparks and all the holy lights that are contained in this tribe should shine upon me. Every day it's a different tribe. The common question is, what does the Koyen and the Levi do? The Koyen and the Levi are not from any of these tribes. So what do they actually say? It's explained in the Holy Tanya Kadisha of the Alter Rebbe in the second chapter, Perik Beis. V'nefesh Hashenis Yisrael is how it starts off, the second soul. And it discusses the uniqueness that the Jewish person has in Neshama Tehera. Which is Chelik Erika Mimal Mamish, part of the Almighty God. In essence, it's brought down that the, the, the Almighty sent down 600,000 Nishamas. 
And each one with a mission to accomplish. And it has to accomplish ultimately the missions that it is given. Sometimes, unfortunately, it doesn't manage to. When that happens, the Nishama has to come back again as quote-unquote reincarnation. Or transmigration, however you like to call it. Thereby, thereby, completing its mission. There's also a concept called Ibur Nishamis. An impregnation of souls. A spark. Nitzutza shel Avram Avinu or Nitzutz shel Meisha the Meisha bechodara vedara. There is a spark of Meisha in each and every generation. Each and every person has the tzaddik hader, the tzaddik of the generation has a spark of his neshama in the every person connected to him. And this is the spiritual soul of each recipient. Consequently, it's possible that the soul of a person can be not necessarily a member from this particular tribe, but he could have an impregnated soul, or even a Kayan or a Levi could have come, could have hailed from a different tribe prior, and now is from this tribe. And therefore, every day, every Jew is obligated to say the Nasi and the Yehiratzin. As we say the Nasiim though, we bring all twelve Nasiim from every Shevet. And on the last day of Hanukkah, as we said, we read from the eighth, ah, one cat came to share. From the eighth, and we continue until which is the beginning of the upcoming Pasha. The reason for that is because was the Aveda, the service that Aaron Akayan did. That Aaron Akayan served because he felt that he was being deprived as a Nasi of his Shevet, Shevet Levi. Obviously on Sunday, Yom Rishin, the Karbanas began to be brought. And we read in the parasha, it says, Bayim Hashvi, on the seventh day, Nasi Livnei Ephraim. Was the Nasi of the children of Ephraim, Ephraim being the descendant of Yosef Atzadik. Why was he put in a position, in a predicament to have to bring the carbon on Shabbos. We know the famous story of Yosef HaTzadik. He was sold to Potiphar. He was a servant in the house of Ashish Potiphar. And Ashish Potiphar tried to get him to transgress very immorally, shall we say. Yosef was frightened, the Torah tells us, and he ran away. 
The Medrash tells us this transpired on Shabbos. He came to do his work, says the Teda. What was his work? Was his study and review the Teda that his father had taught him. According to the Gemara of Sanhedrin, the tractate Sanhedrin, when a person, which is on 43b, when a person resists and overpowers his evil, it's the equivalent of offering a sacrifice. Since Yosef overcame this transgression, and it happened on Shabbos. Hashem rewarded him that the head of his son's tribe should bring the sacrifice on Shabbos. We need to understand though, According to the Medrash Shabbat, Yosef kept Shabbos. He observed Shabbos before it was even given. Yosef kept Shabbos before it was ever given. And we see this from the Pasuk when he tells his brothers and prepare it. What does the Hechen mean to prepare it? The word Hechen primarily is used when we Hechen Shabbos, Mechen the Shabbos. Preparing, preparing refers to Shabbos. On the sixth day, Veheichinu, when they prepare, the Torah says, which means Hashem is telling us that Yosef observed Shabbos before the Torah was given. And because of that, because of that, Hashem said, He rewarded him. How is he going to reward him? Your grandson will be allowed to bring an offering on Shabbos. Although it's usually forbidden, but I will grant him that he will be allowed to bring the sacrifice because you kept the Shabbos, says the Almighty. Superficially, It's enigmatic. The reward for Yosef keeping Shabbos, his grandson is going to be allowed to desecrate. 
But the truth is as follows. Hashem gave us Shabbos. For what? To sanctify it. How do we sanctify Shabbos? By refraining from doing anything that's forbidden. Anything from forbidden labors, bringing sacrifices. On the other hand, there are sacrifices that are brought on Shabbos. These sacrifices that are brought on Shabbos elevate Shabbos itself. They take the Holy Shabbos and they elevate it. They enhance the entire holiness of Shabbos. Even though it is a desecration to the actual Shabbos. That's what the reward was. Despite the fact that it was forbidden for a person to bring an individual sacrifice on Shabbos, his grandson's offering was not desecrating Shabbos like an individual, a normal individual sacrifice. But it was like a sacrifice of Shabbos, which therefore elevated Shabbos itself. And thereby, the reward being so great to Yosef, because Shabbos now became holier with the sacrifice that his grandson brought. Many years ago, there was a woman in Israel, the Holy Land of Israel, that led a perfect, beautiful life, uncharacteristic of a non-religious family in Israel. They had five children. One day, she came home and found her husband missing. He went to work in the morning and never came back. They sent police, they sent this, they sent that. There was nothing to look for. Because when they investigated in the house, they realized that there were two pieces of luggage missing and all his clothes was packed away. So obviously, he had done something, he had picked up and gone. Now what happens? They went, started going to all the different fortune tellers. And after going to all the fortune tellers, she saw they're all fake. She didn't know what to do. What she did hear, she did hear that in New York there's a Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe. He gives out dollars on Sundays. And just maybe, maybe he can help her. She scrounged and begged, pleaded and saved and saved and saved until she saved up enough money for the airfare. She gave the children to her mother and she picked up. And by this time she was already becoming religious. She was actually religious. And she picked up and she went to New York. 
She arrived in New York on a Friday, spent the Holy Shabbos in Crown Heights, so that Sunday morning she'd be online. And only an hour or an hour and a half later, her dream came true. She found herself standing directly across from the Rebbe. And she began to pour out her heart how her husband had left her. And now that she's become from, she's become religious, she knows that she's in a guna, she cannot marry, she cannot do anything until her husband's either found, dead, or alive. Until he gives her a get or whatever it is, she's stuck. Tell me, I'll talk to you in a minute. Okay. And so, they she poured her heart out to the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave her a few dollars. And the Rebbe said, why are you still here? Go home. He's there. He's waiting for you. The woman had no idea what's going on. What hit her here? When the Rebbe said, the Rebbe said, she called a travel agent, she arranged the next morning, she was on a flight. As she arrives in the taxi, she's getting out of the taxi, and there on her porch is sitting her husband. Suitcases in hand, he's here. Makara, what happened? Yesterday, he says, I was sitting and thinking, I couldn't come to terms I couldn't bear anymore. I, I couldn't believe that I gave up this beautiful family and life and I just had to come home. What time did this happen? And obviously it coincided with the time that the Rebbe told her, go home, your husband's waiting. Since everything's fine and wonderful, there's only a trivial problem here. What's the trivial problem? She says, I, in the interim, became from. I became religious. I'm an observant Jewess. And you aren't. No. He says, Tagiri, what do you want me to do? And he started going to Shirim, to classes, and to that, And he became totally from. No problem. And he told her, this is why I ran away. I found nothing in my life was worthwhile. Life was just one big void to me. I needed to find something substantial. And now that I found Torah, and I found the beauty of Tamitzvah, now I found substantiality in my life. The story would be a wonderful story if it ended there, but it gets worse. A few years later, this Asian child, this woman of valor, starts to get terrible pains in her legs. And the pains in her legs get worse and worse. And they get to a point where she can't walk. She's paralyzed. They go from doctor to doctor, and there's no one to talk to. No one knows or could figure out what's wrong with her. Finally, 
she realized that the only solution is to write a letter to the Rebbe. She writes a letter to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe says, check your tefillin and mezuzahs at home, and when you have the results of the Badika's tefillin, tell the doctor. How much stranger can it get? Tell the results to the doctor. They checked the tefillin, the mezuzahs, the mezuzahs were beautiful, the tefillin were written beautifully, the boxes were beautiful, the bottom. There was one little problem in the tefillin. The sinews with which the tefillin was sewn were severed. And so they took new sinews and they re-sewed the tefillin. And now comes the fun part. Go to the doctor and tell him this. And they go to the doctor and they tell him that the Rebbe said that he should check his tefillin. And they checked the tefillin and they found the sinews were severed. And the Rebbe says, the sinews was. the doctor says, the sinews are severed? And the doctor goes, and he immediately checks the ligaments, and finds the ligaments are severed, and immediately deals with it however medically had to be dealt with, and the woman was back on her feet as we say. There are many different things I'd love to have talked about today's Pasha. Time is overcoming us. One of the things I'd like to speak about, as the Pasik tells us that the Nasim brought their sacrifices, it says, Vayikrivu Nasiya Yisrael Gamer, Sheish Agola is six wagons tzav. Agola Shnei Nasim, Agola for every two Nasim. These wagons were donated by the Nesim, by each one of the heads. <coughs> and they were used to carry the beams of the Mishkan. As it says, two wagons were given to Bnei Gershon according to their service, and the other four were given to Bnei Merari and according to their service. This is very, very strange. We know that when it came to the temple, there was no poverty. No money was spared. But still in all, the Nesim only dedicate four wagons for carrying this magnitude of beams that barely, barely were able to move. And we know, as we said, that even by the Mishkan, everything had to be open-handed, had to be generous. But still in all, everything had to have a purpose. Nothing was allowed to be extra. And the Sifriya tells us 
that the kalim, the vessels of the Mikdash, were exact. Each one was exactly what needed to be, no more, no less. So since these four wagons were enough for the carrying of the Krashim, of the beams, if they would have used any more wagons than that, then there would not have been a reason for these wagons. Because these other wagons that were given were ample. What do we learn from this? What is this teaching us as human beings? A tremendous lesson, says the Rebbe, in the way we serve the Almighty. Everything that God created, nothing has been created for naught. Everything has its purpose. And a person cannot say, I've dedicated many hours to the service of God, so give me a few, a few minutes break, let me take a break from serving God, let me do something else. You can't say that. A person has to know that every second, every little moment in a person's life has to be used dedicated and devoted to the service of God, as was every single vessel that was in the Holy Temple. And since we are called a Migdash Ma'at, we are called a small temple of our own, therefore we have to see to it that every single one of our vessels are used at every single time, every single moment. And that we should be able to be Zeicher, the Shabbos, the Nosei Yisraish, we raise up the heads of the Jews, and that ultimately, before Mincha, when we read about the lighting of the Menera, we should actually see in the Holy Temple how the Kohen Gadol stands and kindles the Menera this very Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom and all the best. Wow, there's a lot of people on here. No, I just came back from the father and son by the man of the stream. I didn't go. No, it was very nice after all the...